Joining us now is Liz Cheney, former Wyoming Republican congresswoman, former member of the House Republican leadership, and someone who might easily still hold both titles tonight, except that she stood up for democracy in the wake of January 6th, up to and including in her role as vice chair of the January 6th committee, which set her apart from the former president, of course, who's running again, and most of her fellow Republicans who all but cast her out. Her new blockbuster book out today is Oath and Honor, a Memoir and a Warning. The final words in that title, a warning, certainly speak to the moment. Thanks so much for, for being with us. Thank you for um, having me. This is not only a, a fascinating, terrifying book and a warning, as you say, it is also a really well-written, captivating story that just you. takes you from the first pages and it gallops you through the last many years of the descent of our democracy. Did, did you write a lot about Mike Johnson in the book? Obviously, when you were writing this, he wasn't the speaker. You didn't know he was going to be the speaker. Talk a little bit about, first of all, this idea that he wants to blur the faces. What does that tell you? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, with respect to the videotape, um, the, the Department of Justice already has these right. tapes. Um, and I, I think that we're, we're experiencing a situation where uh, the speaker, Speaker Johnson, is somehow attempting to suggest that there is something in these tapes that... Uh, would change the facts of what happened. Uh, there's nothing in the tapes that can change the facts of what happened that day, it can change the violent assault. And, uh, and you know, I, I have called on him to, to release the tapes. We need to make sure, obviously, that we've protected security issues at the Capitol. But, but at this point, what's happening, uh, I don't know why he's dragging his feet after having proclaimed he's going to release them, and, and he ought to release well, them. Well, also, this idea of blurring the faces, as you said, the tapes are already, law enforcement are, already has. I mean, it seems like it's kabuki theater to... Right. January 6th defendants and their supporters and others that he's standing up to protect them when, in fact, it, it actually well, has no purpose. Yeah, and it's a perfect example of the lengths to which he will go, um, even in his rhetoric. I mean, he actually said to protect people from the Department of Justice. And um, at the same time, he proclaims that, you know, we're, he is representing the, quote, rule of law party. So it's... Uh, I think the game's ought to stop, and if he's going to release tapes, you ought to just go ahead and release You know, tapes. he portrays himself... He's not well-known on the world stage. He certainly portrays himself as this certainly very devout and very earnest and, and, you know, thoughtful person. That is not... He seems like a slippery character in the pages of your book. I mean, the, the reality of him behind the scenes is very different. Yeah, and, and I certainly wouldn't question anybody's faith, right. um, but... But I, you know, knew him well. We were we were friends. We were elected the same time. I, I believed him to be somebody who was was honorable. Um, but but then sadly, I watched through the whole process first of the amicus brief that he pushed members of the House to sign on, um, which you know was constitutionally infirm and the Supreme Court. Right. Very Let's clearly, talk about that. I mean, he yeah. he sent out a letter to members of Congress uh, essentially saying, you know, do this for for President Trump. Right. Right. And the arguments he was making, uh, according to you, were, I mean, they just didn't, they weren't sound legally. Yeah, and he was, he was claiming and telling members that the brief itself was just simply an effort to convince the courts to hear, uh, to hear this case, uh, when in fact the brief itself made serious charges, uh, alleged, um, you know, activity that was unconstitutional, alleged that, that people in the states had conducted themselves in ways that were unconstitutional, and made these allegations, even though courts across the country in each of these states had already heard these facts, had already determined that what the brief was asserting was was not true. And and I also think there are serious ethical problems. Somebody who's a member of the bar 
asserting in front of the court facts known to them about which they don't have any basis. He was also saying that he was a, a constitutional scholar and that there was an implied threat in, right. in, his, in his brief. Yeah, and I, and I heard from a number of our colleagues who said, wait a minute, you know, he, he's taking down names and making a list for Donald Trump to look at. Is this, in fact, a threat? He denied that it was, but, but the activity continued into the objections over the electoral votes as well. And, and I wasn't the only one who was raising a red flag about his activities. Kevin McCarthy's own senior counsel was doing the same thing. And she, in fact, said that she had talked to him uh, and he knew that what he was doing didn't have any basis in the Constitution. Yeah, I mean, you said, you write, Mike Johnson and our Republican leaders have played a destructive role. The amicus brief episode revealed a side of Mike I'd not seen before. He appeared especially susceptible to flattery from Trump and aspired to being anywhere in Trump's orbit. He was telling our colleagues he was a constitutional law expert while advocating positions that were constitutionally infirm. You, I mean, do you believe he poses a threat to the integrity of the 2024 presidential election? I, I do think that if we come to a, a place where he's the Speaker of the House, where the Republicans are in the majority on January 6th of 2025, um, there are real questions about whether or not that majority will do what's required under the Constitution. For example, if an election would be thrown into the House or even going through the process of counting electoral votes. Um, an election could end up going to the House where the House right. would determine you think the, Rep the Republicans in the House are not responsible enough to do what is right and what is legal. Yeah, I mean, I think the lesson that we've seen over the course of the last couple of years is that this group of elected Republicans can't be counted on to defend the Constitution. And, and I that's a very sad thing for me to say. It's a very dangerous place for the country to be, but but that's what we've seen based on the actions the last several years. I mean, what will get this fever dream among these Republicans to stop and to go back to being a party that can wants to actually govern and, and get stuff done and be part of the fabric of democracy? I think we have to have the majority of the American people who are not uh, part of sort of this the cult of personality around Donald Trump. There is a, a portion of the party that absolutely is not going to be convinced to move away from him, but but it's a much smaller number than, you know, the, the vast majority of Republicans, Democrats, and independents combined. And those, those of us who understand the danger have to be committed to working across party lines to, to protect against it. Kevin McCarthy, in, I mean, the details that you have about Kevin McCarthy in this book, he, you know, we reported last week that, that you know, McCarthy told you that his trip down to Mar-a-Lago where he went to, to kiss the ring um, was that Trump was depressed and, and not eating. The former president has responded the other day saying actually that he was angry and eating too much. You don't buy either of those explanations. I mean, you know, I, I certainly didn't buy Kevin's explanation. You know, Trump's uh, maybe that's the first truth he's ever spoken. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, but but you know the bottom line is what McCarthy what he was really doing was when big donors cut off donations to the Republicans after after the insurrection, um, he needed money, and and he the only place he could get money was to go see Trump and get access to his list of donors. But of course that meant going down there and. and helping him to begin to, to sort of wipe away the stain of what he'd done. Well, why do you think so many of, I mean, Lindsey Graham, who, you know, said he was done with Trump, he's out that night, and then I remember somebody yelled at him in the airport, I think, on his way back down to South Carolina, and then all of a sudden he's playing golf with the former president. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. I mean, I think there are 
There's a lot of a lot of years are going to be spent on sort of psychoanalysis of of, um, of a number of members of my party, uh, and uh, I think that the danger that we face though is that people are now willing to sort of accept these these really extreme things that Donald Trump is claiming he'll do. We're not guessing about what he'll do. Do you think? Do they actually believe these lies? Um, no, I think the number of people who believe the lies in elected office is very small. I think in the House Republicans, it's, it's probably single digits. Um, but, but you have, a, obviously, a far larger group of people, some who have determined that they're, they're you know, going to be fully on board and aggressively supporting and enabling Trump, and a lot of others who've said, we're just, you know, we're going to look the other way. And, and that's really dangerous because then, you know, people around the country sort of start to say, well, it must not be that bad if you don't have that many Republicans speaking out against it. And, and it's... Your dad called you just before the joint session of Congress on January 6th. He'd been listening to Trump's speech at the Ellipse. What did he say to you? Um, he called me. I was in the cloakroom off the House floor working on remarks I was going to give. And uh, he, he called me and he asked me if I was watching the speech. And I, I said I wasn't because of the, my work on the remarks. And he told me that Trump had said we have to get rid of the Liz Cheney's of the world. And, and he, he said to me, you're in danger. And um, he said, we need to talk about whether or not, um, given that th that he's just done this, that he's just targeted you specifically, what that means for you going onto the House floor, what that means for you in terms of speaking against the objections. Through the course of our conversation, it was clear we both knew I, I couldn't not proceed because of this threat from, from Donald Trump. But that's a, you know, you can imagine sort of the emotion of the moment to have my dad calling me to say the president has just, you know, targeted me in a way that, that put, put me at risk. Do you understand the, you know, a Bill Barr who has, you know, was very loyal to the president while he was in office and then, you know, clearly has had a, a change of heart and yet saying, not saying categorically that he would not vote for the former president? Um, I, I guess I, I have a, a couple of views about that. I think there are a number of people, including Bill Barr, who were around the president, um, who stopped the president from from doing far worse. Um, Bill Barr certainly is one of the people who told the president repeatedly that what he was saying was untrue about fraud in the election and, and said it publicly. Um, but, but I don't think that you can acknowledge and recognize the facts and the mountain of evidence that points to what Donald Trump did to his direct involvement in attempting to seize power and overturn an election and then turn around and say that you would vote for him again. I think people really do have to come to grips with the fact that, that those are inconsistent. And when you say that you will vote for him despite what he's already done, uh, you're helping to make sure that he continues as a force in, in, in the politics of this nation, and, and that's dangerous.